Thank you. Thank you very much, Andy. Uh, I just, obviously, I haven't seen Andy in a while. I haven't seen Rebecca as well in a while. And uh, I worked with them at uh, Willingdon Church uh, many, many years ago. And it's just awesome to come and see these two never age. They just look the same as they, as they did uh, back then when we served together. It's a privilege for me to be here at Crossridge. I've preached here before, but that was maybe eight or nine years ago, easy. Like it was a long time ago. So it's so great for me to be here and open the word. As you heard, I work at Northview Community Church. I'm one of the pastors there. Um, married, four kids. Uh, our household is great. My son is graduating this year. And it's just kind of weird to have another man now seated around the dinner table who eats way more than I do. It's crazy uh, to be in this life stage that we are in, my family and I. Anyways, you will need a Bible uh, this morning and go to the book of Galatians. My assignment uh, is the first five verses of this book as we begin this new uh, series while Lee is away. As you make your way there, just an introduction story, a little bit about myself. So I became a Christian a number of years ago um, in Africa when I was still a young man growing up. And I had an idea of what Christianity was like because my mom read many Bible stories to us. And so I knew the story of Samson and David, David and Goliath. You know, I knew all these stories. And then the gospel story, I kind of knew Jesus was a good guy, but then they killed Jesus. And I was so angry, like, why did they kill Jesus? And I kept asking my mom, read the story over and over again, because maybe this time around, Jesus will be saved by some angel or some superhero, because Jesus is the good guy. He can't die. Or so I thought. Right? I had no concept of what the gospel really was and the reason why Jesus had to die. Anyway, so I become a Christian, um, and I had no idea basically about denominations and faith movements. I had no idea. Anyway, so I began going, I just felt this strong draw toward a uh, church ministries um, and, and Christian gatherings. So there was this particular gathering that was close to home. I decided, well, I'll go to this gathering. And they met on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and then on Sunday I'd go to church. And I just felt this draw to hang out with God's people. So as I go to this place, the preacher there knew the Bible. And so I assumed, like, hey, anyone who knows the Bible will be like a math teacher. You know, if you know math and you're teaching and you're getting the right answers, obviously you're the authority, you know math, I don't know, teach me. So I was coming to this place, and this man demonstrated in his preaching how he knew the scriptures. So I assumed, well, you're teaching the truth. And the things he was teaching was saying, you know, for you to become a Christian, for you to be a true Christian, yes, you have to believe the gospel. You must believe the gospel, but you also have to have this other experience. So it's not just enough for you to say yes to Jesus. There's this other experience that you need to have. And what was this experience? Yeah, you need to really have an encounter with God. And you need to to see visions and dreams. And you need the Spirit of God to fill you. And the evidence for this infilling of the Spirit, you have to speak in tongues. Because if you really don't, then you're not really in. So you have to pursue. And so here I am, young Ezra, praying, Lord, Lord, I want the Spirit. And I'm lifting my hands. and, And the more I try, it's not working. And I'm wondering, am I good enough? Am I good enough for this gospel? Am I good enough for this salvation? Lord, please accept me. And nothing, and nothing. And he kept saying, you know, if you're not filled with the Spirit, if you're not experiencing this, then you're not part of our tribe. Now, let me just pause here and say, um, you know God can do all sorts of crazy things, right? 
You know, the moment you think you know God, yeah, you realize you really don't. Because God is, in some way, a wild cowboy. You don't really, you can't really wrap your head around. There's, there's a missionary who tells a story about when he was in the Middle East. And he was dealing with a guy who was a former Muslim. And this man was so disillusioned with life. And things were going terribly wrong for this man. And this man wanted to commit suicide. And then the missionary is talking to him. This is not the right thing to do. Please come over to my house. Come over to my house. And so this man reluctantly said, okay, fine, I'll come to your house. So they decided, come over Saturday. So the man on Saturday jumps onto the bus on his way to the missionary's house. But he's thinking, after this meeting, I'm going to go back and take my life. And so as he gets on this bus, he gets there, he gets to his stop, he gets out. Once he's out of the bus, the bus driver says, hey, 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 hey. This man was busy thinking about how he's going to kill himself. Bus driver, hey, buddy, what you're about to do, don't do. And then he closes the door and drives off. And this guy's like, what is he talking about? Like, what? Anyway, whatever. So he goes to the missionary's house, sits in the missionary's place. Missionary says, hey, just hang tight here. Let me just run to my home office, grab a few materials so we can talk about some of the challenges you're, going, you're, you're, you're experiencing. So as the missionary has gone to his home office, just around the corner in the next room, this man is seated there looking at the pictures on the wall. And there's this one picture that he's just fixated on. He looks at this picture. Missionary comes in, finds him looking at the picture. And then the guy looks at the missionary and says, dude, why do you have a bus driver's picture, uh, picture on your wall? And the missionary says, that's not a bus driver. Yeah, that's a picture of Jesus. So this Muslim man had an encounter with Christ who happens to be driving a bus and tells him, what you're about to do, don't do. This man becomes... So God can do some crazy things. So here I am trying to seek God. Nothing's happening. And I'm being taught that, hey, you know what? The Christian faith is more than just confess your sin, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from from the dead. That's not enough. That wasn't enough. I was being taught, becoming a Christian is more than just confessing with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in my heart that God raised him from the dead. You see, this is a similar situation that is happening in the Galatian church as we begin this series of Galatians. You'd best understand what is going on there. There are false teachers who are called Judaizers, people who are so committed to Judaism. So these false teachers have infiltrated the church and they are preaching another gospel, promoting a religious system that combines Christianity with Moses' law in a way that demands total commitment to Israel's law as a climax of one's conversion. So they are saying, hey, for you to be a Christian, then you also have to be a Jew and a good one, which means you have to observe the Mosaic law. If you're not observing the law, then you're not a true convert. Yes, it's great that you're saying Jesus is Lord, Absolutely, yes, but good Christians, true Christians also have to observe the law. And it almost seems like observing the law, the Ten Commandments and all the other rituals and all the other laws, dietary laws and things like that. Yeah, in order for you to be a true Christian, you also have to do that. Because if you really don't do that, then uh, you're not in the family. You're not in. So these new converts were required now to observe Jewish dietary laws. And they were, they were also required to observe circumcision. So young men, yeah, let's take care of business. Why? Because circumcision is a sign 
to show that you're included in God's covenant. You're God's people. Therefore, you have to do this, is what these false teachers were teaching in the book of Galatians. But that's not all. They were also challenging Paul's apostolic authority. Who's Paul? Who is he? He wasn't one of the disciples of Jesus. In fact, this Paul was a persecutor of the church anyways. So he was persecuting the church. He was killing people who believed in Jesus. In fact, we don't know how he received the gospel to begin with. None of the disciples taught him the gospel anyway. So he might have heard pieces and pieces. So this Paul guy doesn't really fully know the whole gospel. He doesn't know it. Is what the false teachers were teaching. Paul says these false teachers were teaching this way in order to make a good showing. In other words, to look nice. To look accepted by the wider Jewish community. And also to avoid persecution. This is chapter 6. So I'm just giving you broad themes of what you'll be hearing as this book is being preached through the next few weeks here. So as Paul is seeing all this and he's seeing what is going on over here, he is saddened but he's also angry. So this letter is not a nice lovey-dovey letter. No, he's very, very sharp and very in your face to the church there saying, I am disappointed. I love you guys. How could you do this? How could you walk away from the gospel? How? He rebukes them in verse 6 of chapter 1. You're deserting him who called you. In the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel, thinking that, hey, you know, believing Jesus and also observing the, the Jewish law, that you think that that is what is going to be. So, in other words, you're now abandoning coming to faith in Jesus and you think that you will be saved as you continue to observe the rules of Judaism. You, you think? Chapter 3, you foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? Very, very strong language. So as we start this new series in the book of Galatians while Lee's away on sabbatical, you will see multiple preachers coming here in a week in, week out. And this series will run, I believe, into the summer. And the themes that we'll be looking at will include, will be tied very closely to the purpose of this book. I'll give us four of them. Paul will identify and counter false teaching. The false teaching saying, hey, you know, observance of the law as a prerequisite to salvation. And there are so many applications here. Oh, you know, for you to totally, you know, for you to be a Christian, you know, not only do you have to say yes to Jesus, but you also have to join our denomination. Because we believe this is how Jesus is going to come back again. We believe this is how the Spirit of God works. We believe, we believe. And so we are saying, in order for you to be truly a Christian, hey, you know what? Not only do you say yes to Jesus, but you also have to join a movement. And it almost seems like this movement is the end or the goal. Not true. So that's one theme. Second theme, defending Paul's apostolic authority. These false teachers are questioning whether Paul has the authority to actually speak the things he is saying. You do realize that in our day-to-day we challenge Paul's authority, do you? Oh, let me press this a bit. In our culture today, we're having multiple uh, social issues. Medical assistance in dying. 
gender, the LGBTQ issues. Paul is very clear about what the gospel teaches, is he not? So how many Christians are listening to Paul or are they challenging the authority of Paul? Saying, you know what, I am a red letter Christian. We will talk about that in a bit. So there is this challenge of Paul's authority. So in this letter, Paul will defend his apostolic authority. Then there is this clarifying the basis for the gospel of grace. Clarifying the basis for the gospel of grace. So in other words, do you think doing good deeds is what will make you a Christian? Meaning observing the law, being circumcised, and eating certain foods? And identifying as a Jew, you think all the, those are the things that are going to make you be a Christian and accepted before God, you think? Is what Paul is asking? He will clarify. The law condemns us. No one is able to keep the law perfectly. The law will expose you. Good example. If, if let's say this podium here was, had a you know, wet paint, do not touch. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Hmm, I wonder, is it, is it dry? <laughs> do not touch in red. But there Ezra is touching. Why do we do this? Or if there was a door over there and you say, do not enter. You begin wondering, what is Andy hiding in there? <laughs> what is he hiding in there? Like, can someone go in there and see? Do not enter. But we want to enter. Why? The law, there's a law there. Do not enter, but we want to enter. So this law has exposed who you are. This is what the Old Testament law does. It exposes you, but doesn't tell you how to deal with who you are. The gospel does. The gospel now shows you how we respond or what we ought to do in light of who we are. The gospel of grace provides a solution to our problem because the law will reveal that there is a problem with you and I. And then the fourth, it will, Paul will reiterate the obligation of Christian life. So if we say, that, hey, you know what? Salvation is by grace only. Okay, so if it is by grace only, but what about doing good things? The law will tell you, do not steal, do not cover, do not, no adultery, no lying. No. The law will tell you all these things, right? So if you're saying salvation is by grace, what happens to this law? Paul will say, and he will teach, hey, there are certain obligations that are required of Christians. The Spirit of God is the one who's going to help you. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel you profess. So in other words, being a Christian and your good works, your good works are not what brings you into the kingdom. No, your good works are an evidence that you're following Jesus. And the Spirit of God will help you fight. So the Christian life is all about a fight. It is a wrestle with your own sinful nature. It's a wrestle. The nature doesn't want to die. But you fight, sister. You fight, brother. That is a Christian faith. This is what Paul is going to be unpacking for us. This is a fun book. In many ways, I wish I had more, more weekends to preach here. But you have others. You have others. So our text this morning, Galatians chapter 1, verse 1 to 5. All I just said, introduction. Oh, you'll be here a long time. Okay. Galatians 1, 1 to 5. 
So we'll read the text and then we'll unpack it. Paul, an apostle, not from man, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me. Let me just pause there. When he says all the brothers who are with me, in other words, he's saying these brothers who are with me, and it's not just dudes only, these brothers and sisters who are with me, they all agree with my concern for you Galatians. They all agree. So it's not just me, but I have a crew here who agree that there's a problem here. All the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now many of us will read that passage and like, okay, yeah, now let's get to the meat. Oh my. There is a ton of meat on that bone right there, as you shall see. Now, I was in Thailand about a month ago, and I traveled there, Thailand, Laos, uh, and then just saw Myanmar, came very close to, to Myanmar to see some, some work that we are supporting there as a church, missions work. And while I was there, uh, if you've been to Thailand, you will know that any building, any property that is built, you will find a little shrine, you know, like a little dollhouse, you know, like a birdhouse. Some are huge. If it's a hotel, you're staying there, it's big. And others are just tiny, like a little dollhouse. And it's just out on the lawn, out on the porch. And the belief is that the, whoever built this house, the land belongs to the gods. So if you're going to put your house there, that means, oh dear, you have now just infringed upon a space for the gods. Therefore, you have to create a small little house for the god spirit to live. And every morning you will bring your apples and your bananas and some drinks and whatever for the gods. And you leave them there. The birds can come and eat on them. But that is showing the spirits that you're honoring them and that they will bless you and your house. So they they have these things everywhere. Everywhere. You walk in a community, you see one there, one there, one there, one there. You will see all these little houses, these little shrines with food around the level of idolatry is just like, oh wow. Let's appease the gods because if we appease the gods then we find security, we'll find protection and so on. You know, it's very easy for us to point a finger and say, you know, oh my, people in Thailand, people in Laos, my goodness, they are such idolaters and we forget that we do the same things with sex, money, power, beauty, We are all seeking after these things so that we could find security and protection. We pursue money and we play the lottery. Why? Because we are seeking security. We are seeking protection. If only I had this thing, then I will fill in the blank. If I only married this kind of girl or this kind of guy, then I will be satisfied. The level of idolatry there in Thailand, huge. We are also idolaters here, same. And we'll unpack that in a bit as we move along here. The point here is we are all guilty of idolatry and many other sins. So the question then becomes, what does a righteous God do with rebels? Who have chosen, rebels, you and I, who have chosen now to 
to pursue other things, to pursue things, protection, security that only God can give. You're looking for it from some, something else. You're pursuing other gods and other things. What should a righteous God do? You're giving thanks to other things for things that God did for you and me. What should God do? What does God do with rebels? Enter the gospel. Because God created and we've become rebels. So what do you do, rebels? You judge rebels. Sometimes you say, oh, but it's not fair that God is not saving everyone. Actually, what is not fair is that God saves you. You ought not to be because you're rebellious. So am I. But then God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Right? So God created man rebels. Christ redeems. And then one day Christ will come and restore or will say he will recreate. He'll make all things new. That's the gospel message macro. So that gospel message, God creating, man rebelling, but then God's initiative, him choosing to redeem, and then one day he will come and restore or he'll come and recreate. That is point number one, God's initiative. The gospel is God's initiative. God is on a mission to save and to redeem sinners. And so how does he do this? How does he save and redeem sinners? He sends people to proclaim. That is why God commissioned Paul for ministry. Verse 1. When Paul says, Paul, an apostle. Paul is an apostle. What's an apostle? An apostle is a messenger. He's an envoy. He's a mouthpiece. He's been sent to the message. Go and tell people this glorious gospel. Later in the chapter, Paul will discuss his former life as a persecutor of the church. And he will talk about his conversion and how God called him and all that. So I'll not steal the next preacher's thunder when it comes to talking about how Paul uh, was saved. You may ask, does God save the same way today? Well, there's a pastor in the United States who was higher than high. Oh my, he was high. And he used to live in the streets and use drugs, consume drugs and all these things. And so there were these groups that would come and just love on the people in the streets, give them hot chocolate, give them some bread, give them some meals and all that, and then share the gospel, take some time just to talk stories. So this pastor, high, 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 high. He wasn't a pastor at the time, he was just a rebel. High, high. And this guy used to come and visit him. Hey buddy, how you doing? How you doing? And then one day, as this guy was still very high and this Christian man had just come and sat beside him and just talked to him and preached the gospel. As this man was high, hearing the gospel, oh God opened his eyes. While he was high, repent. You need to know me. The love of God. God's Initiative. This man who was high had no desire to follow God. He was loving his drug addiction, pursuing joy and, 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 and um, satisfaction and all of it. And right there, God chose to pursue him. God saves the same way he saves you. You weren't seeking him. You were busy doing your own stuff. Loving, the lo loving life and doing your own stuff. And then God's initiative. He came to you. Saved you. Same way God comes to Paul. And he calls him. And he sends him with a message. You're an apostle now. You're an envoy. 
There are people in our day, as I said, who say, you know what, I'm only going to listen to the red letter Christians. I've got to, no, I'm going to listen to the red letter words in the, in, the, in the gospel. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, only what Jesus says, and we forget that the words that we have in the New Testament, the red letters, who wrote them? Who wrote them? Didn't the apostles write them? Yeah, these sent ones are bearing the message that Christ gave them and then sends them. Paul here, an envoy, a messenger, once sent by God to proclaim. Therefore, I will say this, to ignore or disregard Paul is to ignore and disregard God himself. Huge implication. To ignore or disregard the words of Paul in Galatians, in Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, or any of the apostles. To disregard what the New Testament will say would be to disregard God himself. It's almost like, you know, I'm a dad, and so sometimes my kids are stubborn. And so one is choking the other upstairs. <laughs> They're fighting. And so I'll send the other saying, hey, you go tell, go tell your sibling, you know, dad says A, B, C, D. So, yeah, hey, you know, dad said, don't do this. And if that kid says, I don't care, I will do it. What do you think I will do? (laughs) You see, I sent my child to his sibling with my authority. Go tell your brother, go tell your sister not to fill in the blank. And if the sibling speaks back and says, I don't care, I will do it anyway. All of a sudden, the sibling has not just disregarded this one, they have disregarded me. You see, any time you disregard the New Testament... Oh, the Old Testament. Oh my. You're disregarding God himself. So the question is, what authority? Why? Why would I say that disregarding or ignoring Paul, you're ignoring God? By what authority? Well, the authority behind the commissioning of Paul was God the Father and Jesus himself. The authority behind the commissioning of Paul, you will see here. Point B, the father who raised Jesus from the dead. That's the authority. Raising Jesus from the dead would demonstrate the sovereign power of God. That God is the only one who has power to raise someone from the grave. Doctors can do it. No human being has the ability to raise someone from the dead. So it's demonstrating the sovereign power of God. Not only that, it validates the claims that Jesus made that he is the son of God. And not only that, it validates the deity of Christ and authenticates the claims he made about his own resurrection. So this father who raised Jesus from the dead, he is one of two who commissions Paul. And not only that, the son who gave himself for our sins according to the will of the father, the text says. This son who gave himself for our sins. Yeah, that one as well. During the Easter seasons, I usually spend time uh, watching The Passion of the Christ, an old movie made by Mel Gibson, and it kind of gives you a glimpse. Now, of course, there is artistic license that he has maybe embellished a few things, he embellished a few, but he kind of gives you a sense of what happened. In fact, 
Isaiah 52 will tell you that Jesus was so beaten up that he was disfigured. He did not even resemble a human being. Can you imagine? Like when you looked at him, this is, he doesn't look like a human being. Like, wow. He is so disfigured. This is what Jesus had to go through for you and me. It is hard to fathom that Jesus gave himself up willingly. Willingly. Jesus could have said, enough. And the angels would have come and rescued him. He didn't do this. He didn't say this. Isaiah 53.10 Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. God's will was Jesus would give himself and Jesus willingly did so to pay for your sins and mine. Meaning, this God the Father who had the power to raise Jesus from the dead and Jesus who willingly gave himself for our sins, yeah, these two individuals who did these things, yeah, they're the ones who commissioned Paul. They're the ones who commissioned Paul. Question, so how will you respond to the message and the messenger who bears the words of Paul when Paul comes and tells you something about abortion. When Paul comes and tells you something about the LGBTQ lifestyle. When he comes and tells you something about the maid. How are you going to respond? You see how it becomes serious quickly? I know what I'm saying is controversial. You and I both know. If you go and you speak... What the gospels in a loving way. Forget me. I mean, I'm in your face. You're nicer than me. So you go and you tell your friend lovingly, kindly what the gospel says about medical assistance in dying, about the gender issue, about the Black Lives Matter. What the scripture says, by the way, Black Lives Matter, you're all white. I'm black. I'll say this. You know, yes, it is true. It is true that uh, visible minorities have been, have been treated poorly. True. But the solution is not that now you are a white person and I am a black person. Now I have to be always put ahead of you all the time. That's not the gospel solution. The solution is not segregation again. The solution is not oppression. It's not. But this is what society is saying. You go preach that, you'll be fired. You know it. Go talk anything about what the gospel says about the LGBTQ uh, um, lifestyle. Out there, you will be fired. You know this. Am I right? You know. You know. So question. How many Christians are abandoning what Paul is saying? Challenging what Paul is saying? Disregarding what Paul is saying? So that we can be liked by society? Huh. So that we can protect our jobs. Paul, an apostle, he's a messenger, he's an envoy. He's an envoy. Second point this gospel that the apostle Paul is sent with, this gospel sets us free. This gospel message will set us free. Christ deliver, uh, delivered us from the present evil age. Christ has delivered us from the present evil age. You may wonder, what is that? 
So I used to play soccer. And when I was at Willingdon, I was playing with our young adults and I severed my Achilles tendon 100%. Severed my Achilles. It was painful. It was not fun. And I had my son, my young son. So I wanted my son to play soccer like me because obviously after that injury, he couldn't play much. So I wanted my son to be in soccer. So I put him in soccer. I paid my $300 for him to, to be in soccer. Well, so I'm that parent. I'm right on the line. Caleb, kick the ball, kick the ball, pass, 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 shoot the ball. He scores. I, yeah, my son, my son. And then when he misses, when he misses the oppos- uh, opportunity, I'm like, why did you miss it? Why didn't you pass? Why didn't you? And I get so upset. And then we, we're driving home. And I'm just saying, son, you should have to do, do this, 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 this. We get home. And my wife looks at me. I am mad. And Caleb is mad. He's crying. What, is, what happened? Well, he's not doing what I told him to do. I paid three in the box. He got to do what I want him to do. And my son is like, but dad is so on to me now. My anger and frustration is just the presenting problem. It's just the fruit. It's the presenting problem. But what is the root? What is the issue? See, the issue is I want all the parents there to acknowledge who I am. I want everybody, when Caleb scores, yeah, everybody, yes, my mom, that's my son. It does something for me. It's my pride. I, I like it when everybody looks at me and thinks highly of me. See, it's, it's my pride. And then when Caleb is sucking in his game, I am mad. Why? Because it's embarrassing. Everybody like, oh, he's, my, he's, he's that's the dad. <laughs> you think about the things that make you angry. The things that make you fight with your spouse. The things that you make you push back. The things that make you anxious. Yeah. Your anxiety and your outburst. Yeah, that's the presenting problem. What's the root? The root is you're looking for, for joy. Yeah, your pride. That's the root. In other words, it's an idol. Listen to this. A quote from Tim Keller. It's not going to be up and I... Did not put it up intentionally because I want you to listen to it. An idol, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and your, in your imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you only what God can give. An idol has such controlling position in your heart that you can spend most of your passion and your energy, your emotional and financial resources on it without a second thought. It can be family and children, or career and making money, or achievement and critical acclaim, or saving face and social standing. It can be a romantic relationship, peer approval, competence and skill, secure and comfortable circumstances, your beauty or your brains. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I will feel my life has meaning. Then I will know that I have value. Then I will feel significant and secure. There are many ways to describe that kind of relationship to something, but perhaps the best one is worship. What are you worshiping? What are you worshiping? You look for meaning and worth, value and significance, security in other things other than God. That is bondage. That is slavery. And Christ has come to set us free from the bondage of sin and slavery, from this 
corrupt worldview that we have bought into. A worldview that will say, hey, to the question, who am I? And the answer, you're nothing. That's why we wake up every morning and we want to make something out of ourselves. We're looking for significance. My son is graduating high school this year and I want him to go to college to make something out of himself. Yet the scriptures will answer, who am I? You're created the image and likeness of God. Therefore, your race, your socioeconomic standing, your achievements mean nothing. You have value and worth, whether you're tall, short, fat, thin, ugly, beautiful, doesn't matter. You have dignity and worth, creating the image and likeness of God. To the question, why am I here? All society will say you're here to consume and enjoy. That's why we want jobs that pay us more money so that we can buy a, a yacht and a big villa and whatever. We want to buy stuff so that we can consume and enjoy and we're busy fighting and looking for more and more and more and more. But the Bible will say, why am I here? To know God and to enjoy him forever. But we have this burden, this yoke of we want to consume and enjoy. I want more money so that I can buy more toys, so that I can enjoy and have a fulfilled life. What is wrong with the world? The, the question, what is wrong with the world? Well, society will say, no education, no policing. No education, no poli- policing. You do realize that there are people who are very well educated who are racists, right? Yeah. People who are well educated who are thieves, who are adulterers, who are murderers. So what is wrong with the world? No education, no policing? The scriptures will say, what is wrong with the world? Sin and rebellion. Your sin, my sin, and my rebellion, your rebellion. How can this wrong be made right? Well, this wrong can be made right. The gospel. Society will say more policing and more education. Really? How many people have been told racism is wrong and they're still racist? How many? Christ came to set us free from the bondage of corrupt worldview that has put a yoke on you and I where we think our value comes from money or beauty sex where you think you'll be fulfilled if you had all these things they will not fulfill you christ came to set us free from the bondage of sin and slavery what is the goal i'm almost done what is the goal yeah christ has set us free but what is the goal verse 5 for god to be glorified forever and ever that's the goal that god will be glorified Forever and ever. I want you to think. What are the things that we bring that we glorify a lot in society? Think about the things we glorify. Do we glorify them forever and ever? A few examples. So, um, athletic achievements. So, in 2010, here in Vancouver, man, Team Canada won the gold medal. Both men and women, they won the Olympic gold medal ice hockey. Man, we were so, we were crazy. We bought the T-shirt. We were all over, it's great, and we're talking and, and the pictures and all these athletes who had won gold medals and everything. If I ask you today, name every player in the women's team, gold medal team. Can you name the women? Even if someone like walked past you, if one of them walked past you at the mall, would you recognize that she won the gold 2010? Maybe the men you might because they keep playing NHL. But what, what about the ones who were uh, in the other... Events. 
Who do you recognize? We celebrated them. We gave them glory, but it wasn't forever and ever, was it? We give glory to artistic talent, music constants, Broadway shows, movies, Lord of the Rings. Oh my, did you see Lord of the Rings when he came on the first time? Man, we're giving it glory. Avatar, wow. 3D, it was awesome. Top Gun Maverick, if you're into that. Wow, what a show. Yeah, and then it's short-lived. It has a shelf life. The things we give glory to have a shelf life. But the scriptures here say, to him, God, be glory forever and ever. Forever and ever? What do we ever give glory to forever and ever? We always forget. The new thing comes. Really forever. This gospel, proclaimed by Paul, that's God's initiative, that sets us free, we lead to God being glorified forever and ever, no shelf life. I told you I was in Thailand a number of weeks ago. And when I was there, I was up in a, in a, a city called Chiang Rai. And in Chiang Rai, there's a cave, a huge cave, where a football team, soccer team, young boys, they went to explore. They went two kilometers into this cave, and then there was a flash flood, and then they got stuck. There's a documentary on Netflix that will show you the story. It's about an hour long. What a story of how these boys were stranded there for days. No food. Their flashlights were now dying and they were stranded. And the world had just descended there. And they had these expert divers. There was one um, Navy SEAL of the Thai Navy um, uh, Army died trying to save these kids. And so they had to now, divers had to go underwater for half an hour underwater to get where the boys were. And then they had to sedate these boys and these boys had to be sedated. They kind of like gone in a coma and then you put this gas mask in and then you have to now guide them underwater for half an hour to the rescue. What a remarkable story. Every single boy who was rescued for the rest of their life will talk about how awesome the rescuer was. Because these boys knew the peril they were in. And they knew they would die. So they will forever praise the ones who risked their lives for their well-being. You see, the point here is when you purposely meditate at what it took to save you and I. See, the reason why we don't praise God forever and ever is because we don't know the peril that he saved us from. When you purposely meditate on what it took to save you, you will be amazed at what it took to save a sinner like you. And as you're amazed, you'll be humbled at the price that Christ paid for your redemption. And as you're humbled, you'll begin to have this high view of God's sovereignty, knowing and believing and understanding that the Father in heaven has absolute control of everything. That he, nothing stopped him from saving you. And this high view of God's sovereignty will lead to a death-defying mission. You wouldn't, will, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't mind to die. You wouldn't mind to lose your business for this God who saved you to the glory of God. He is worthy, you will realize. As you meditate on the gospel. You know, to meditate is like to suck on a, on a lozenge if you have a sore throat. When you meditate on this gospel, the gospel will remind you of what... Christ did on the cross, which will move you then. You will forgive and reconcile with others who offend you. Why? Because you'll remember Christ forgave you. You will be generous with your money. Why? Because you'll remember that God did not spare his own son on your account. You will endure hardship. Why? Because for Christ endured hardship 
for your sake. And not only that, you'll be willing to die. You'll be willing to lose everything. Why? Because Christ died for you. This is the gospel that Paul is preaching. This gospel is God's initiative. This gospel sets us free. This will be the message of the book of Galatians as we go through it in the next few weeks. This morning, you'll be coming to partake communion. As you hold the cup and as you hold the bread, may you be reminded of this gospel message that saves you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for setting us free. We pray, dear Lord, would you enable us, help us not to abandon this gospel and to chase after other things. Lord, I pray you'd anchor us in your word. Help us, Lord, particularly in the issue of not paying attention to Paul and disregarding what he says in this crazy world we live in, Lord. How I pray you'd help us to be obedient and to be submissive to what you say through the apostles, through your word. Commend ourselves not to you in Jesus' name. Amen.